Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. We are in the middle of a series right now called For the Love of God. For the Love of God. You know, love causes us to do some crazy things right? I mean, maybe you're a parent here. I personally am not a parent, but as a child, I've experienced this and I continue to experience it to this day. Parents will do anything for their children. I mean, think about it. Your life is to an extent your own, right? Until you have kids. This is partly why I don't have children yet, because I understand that once that child comes into this world, my life is all of a sudden all about that child, Right, everything I do, every decision I will make will be about that child. And if you're a parent here today, you experience that on a daily basis, right? Love makes us do crazy things. Why would we do that? Why would we give up what we want to do, our preferences, what we want to eat? Why? Because we love our kids. You know, for me in my life, love sometimes makes me do crazy things. You see, I love my husband, Zach. And to be honest, yes, it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. But I'm a really fussy eater, okay? I, if, if I ever come to your house for dinner, worth, worth checking. I'm a very fussy eater. I promise I'll try to eat it. But there is one particular food that I hate and Zach is crazy about. It's olives. Disgusting. I think olives, olives are almost as divisive as coriander. Right? Coriander, I actually don't mind, but olives, disgusting. Okay, but every now and then when I'm at the supermarket, I will do something. I will grab some olives and I'll bring them home for Zach because I know that he loves them. I don't even like the smell of olives, but I allow them in my house. Why? Because love makes us do crazy things. (laughs) Crazy things. You know, love made our God do a crazy thing. You see, God, he desires for relationship with us. God actually really loves you. If you're here today and you don't, know about Jesus, I want to tell you that He loves you. He loves you so much. He sees you. He knows you. He created you for a purpose. And He wants to actually know you have relationship with you. He wants for you to know Him. And so we have this issue in our life. It's the issue of sin. Okay. Everyone has sin. No one here is perfect. No person has ever lived that is perfect. The only one is Jesus. You see, that's really important because sin, while we might try to do the right thing where we're not let's be honest we're not really very capable of it right we might set out with good intentions but somehow we always fall short but you see God wants relationship with us but he is a perfect God you know trying to mix God who is perfect and sin that is in our life is like adding red paint to white paint and expecting it still to be white it doesn't work that way it's going to damage it. it's going to tint it so God couldn't have this relationship with us that he desired because we brought, kept bringing sin into the deal. So what God did is he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on the cross for our sins. You see, it's so significant that Jesus lived a perfect life because he did what we could not do for ourselves. And isn't that so like God? Yeah. Isn't that so like God to just fill in the gap for the things that we can't do for ourselves? To, to, to do what we can't do for ourselves, to bridge that gap so that we can have relationship with him. That's exactly what he did. So he sent Jesus, he died on the cross and he was raised again. And it's so significant that he was raised again because what happened in that moment is he defeated the power of sin. 
Now, that doesn't mean that sin isn't a big deal. We still need to bring that to God. But this beautiful thing happened in that moment where now there's this exchange that happens. So instead of God seeing all the sin in our life, he sees us with the perfect life of Jesus. When you give, his, when you give your life to God, that's what happens. God now sees you with that perfect life of Jesus, which means that we can have relationship with him. But why did he do it? It's a crazy thing to do, right? To die on the cross? Like that's one of the most shameful and painful ways to die. Why did he do it? Because he loved us. And you see, when we experience that love of God, that relationship, something starts to happen in our heart. Something starts to change. Something starts to shift. And we start to love God in return. And that is why we are preaching this series on for the love of God. It's about why we do what we do from this place of love. So Pastor Ben has preached the last two weeks on making disciples and then on reading the Bible. But there's something else that we do out of this love for God. And that is that we pray. And today we're speaking all about prayer. So with that being said, I'm going to pray. (laughs) Jesus, we just thank you that you are good and you are always good. And we thank you that, that you died for us, that you loved us so much that you would die for us. You know, the Bible says no greater love is there than this. God, we just pray that today that we would fall in love with you all over again and that our hearts would be stirred, that you would convict us, that we'd have open eyes and and ears to hear and see what you are saying to us in this space. And God, we pray that from today that we would pray more. God, we would pray more and that we would hear you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to read a scripture to you. It comes from John 15, verse 4 to 5. And um, Jesus is talking about being the vine. And he's talking about how we are the branches. And so in, verse, uh, in chapter 15, verse 4 to 5, he's, and he's talking to, um, yeah, he's talking to um, his disciples here. It says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That's pretty like all-inclusive, isn't it? You know, he says this word abide a lot. Abide in me. What does it look like to abide in Jesus? What is that? You know, it's all good and well to read it, but what does that actually look like practically in our lives? Well, you know, I believe that that looks like having a relationship with him. That looks like being... Trust, trusting him and having obedience, but it also looks like prayer. It also looks like praying to him, having that open communication and relationship with him. You know, he said, what did he say? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. All inclusive, nothing. So does that mean that like, I can't do anything, but maybe sit on the couch? Like, is that, I can do nothing? Well, Obviously, that's not quite what he meant because there are lots of people who do not believe or follow in Jesus, who don't know his love for for them, who haven't given their lives to Jesus, but live really successful lives from a worldly point of view, right? They live really successful lives and they manage to achieve a lot. But I don't think that's quite what Jesus meant here. I don't think he meant you, like you can't walk and go to the shops and do nothing, nothing. I think what Jesus is saying here is you can do nothing of eternal value. Nothing of eternal value without him. You know, God has an intention for you every day. Every day he can use you. But if we're not listening to him, if we're not open to that channel, 
in our lives and we're turning, we're switching that channel off, we're not going to be able to hear where he's leading us, where he's guiding us. I don't know if you have someone in your life that um, has terrible direction sense, right? Like they could be going on a road that they have travelled on many times and still get lost. Now, if you don't have that person in your life, hi, my name's Ruth, that's me, okay? I am now that person in your life. In fact, the other day I was driving on my way to church and, um, sorry, I I was going somewhere that I pass on my way to church. As you can imagine... I've driven that way a few times, okay? I'm in the office two days a week. I'm here every Sunday multiple times. So I've I've driven that road quite a few times by now. So I actually, the place I was looking for, turns out I drove past it. I was expecting it to be on my left. It was on my right. Then it gets worse, okay? The only reason I was going was because I left my bag there earlier that day. So I had already been there. And then I was leaving, okay? I was leaving to drive home and I was like, oh, I'll go the normal way. Worked out a couple hundred metres down the road. No, oh, I turned the wrong way. Looks like I'm going a different way home. So that person, that person is me. So I have a good friend, right? That friend is Google Maps. And Google Maps, it leads me, it directs me, it speaks to me and it tells me where to go so I can get to where I'm going. The issue is if I turn off that channel, if I turn off Google Maps, I'm lost. If we turn off God's voice in our life, if we don't allow that space to abide in Him to pray and we turn off that channel, we end up getting lost. How are we meant to find where He is taking us if we aren't listening to the directions along the way? You know, prayer, yes, we do it because we love God and we want to have relationship with Him. And it's a good thing to do, but honestly, I actually think that we are created to need it. I think that we need prayer. Jesus, he really set the example of a lifestyle of prayer. If you read through the Gospels, I think you'll find the same thing that I did. You know, I went through and I started looking for all the times that Jesus went to pray. And there is a pattern where we can see that Jesus, he goes to a desolate place to pray. He goes off to pray. I've got a few examples, just a few examples here for you. And by no means are they the only ones. If you go through, I'm sure you'll find the same thing. But Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Uh, Luke 5.16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Luke 6.12, in these days he went out to a mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Matthew 14.23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. They're just a few examples. There are so many. You see, Jesus, he lived a lifestyle of prayer. In fact, prayer was Jesus' answer to everything. Prayer was how Jesus made decisions. It's where he chose his disciples. He, cho- he, d- he made all of his decisions out of that place of prayer. It's how he processed his emotions. You know, think about it. Before he went to the cross, what do we see? Jesus retreats to pray because he's processing those emotions. In Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 14, we've got John the Baptist is killed. What does Jesus do? He retreats to go and pray. It's how he processed and dealt with his emotions. It's how he managed the demands of ministry. I mean, imagine being Jesus. He literally came to save the world, right? No pressure, right? The demands of ministry. He had people, he would go to pray and then the crowds would find him. He would try to go off and pray and people would find him. He was constantly on. Imagine that demand, but he dealt with it through prayer. Through prayer, he was able to care for his soul and he was also able to align his heart 
with God. And that is something so powerful about prayer. You know, sometimes it's not so much about the words that you're saying, but it's about listening and aligning our hearts with God. Prayer is what empowered Jesus to live out the purpose that he came for. See, Jesus, he, he didn't try to do it in his own strength. Now, yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so he didn't try to do it in his own strength as a man, but he relied on God the Father. He relied on that relationship. He lived from a place of being loved and expressing the love of the Father through him. So for the love of God, we need to pray. We need to pray. What is prayer? Like maybe you're here today and you're actually pretty new to church or maybe you've been in church for years, but you've never really known fully what prayer is. Really simply, prayer is just conversation with God. It's just conversation. You know, I'm talking about God wanting to have a relationship with us. It's a pretty awkward relationship if there's never every talking, never any talking going on, right? Or if only one of you is talking, it gets pretty, pretty awkward. So our conversation with God, it requires speaking. It also requires waiting and listening. It's, it's, um, it's a really powerful thing, prayer. It's really powerful because we believe in a powerful God. And so when we can speak to God and have access to Him, it's amazing we can make our decisions. We can care for our soul. We can, we can deal with the demands of life. Why? Because we have access to God, to the King of Kings, as I was talking about before. So do you have that space with God? Do you have that space just to spend time with Him and listen and wait and speak do you have that space you know, i've got i've got a question for you if if you were to and you don't have to say it out loud just in your head come up with a number how many times in would how many times do you pray maybe in a week or in a month a year hopefully we're not getting to a year <laughs> but how how many times do you pray so just think of that number in your head and now i want you to think of how many times in a week, let's say a week, do you think you should pray? Now I say should, because even though we know that it's not an obligation, it's not a tick box, I think we all have this idea in our head of what we feel like we should be doing sometimes. So, so how often you know, do you think we should? I am not a gambler, okay? But I would bet that for probably majority of us in the room, and myself included, there is a gap there between how many times we pray and how many times we think we should be praying. I think that for majority of people in here, there would be a gap. So we see it as important and, and, and we know that, you know, we want to be doing it more. So why? Why is there a gap? What creates that gap? Why do we have that there? I think there's a couple of reasons and by no means is this all of them, but you know, sometimes I think that we want the ATM prayer, right? That You know, the one where you punch in what you want and then it just comes out for you straight away. You're like, cashing in the bank. Thank you very much. Let's go. Right? Sometimes we want the ATM prayer, but that's not usually how prayer works. Sometimes we pray and there is immediate breakthrough, but that is not always how prayer works. Maybe for you, it feels like an interruption. I'm just too busy to pray. It's an interruption. I actually need to stop to do that. I mean, you can also do it on the run, but to have that really intentional space, maybe it feels like an interruption. Maybe for you, you've been discouraged and you've, you've felt discouraged or maybe you're angry with God. And so prayer maybe feels like a really hard space for you sometimes. 
Or maybe, just maybe, you're distracted. And, you know, I think this is probably one of the biggest ones. Life can get so busy, it's easy to become distracted and not pray. But I assure you this, the enemy is more committed to distracting you from praying than you are committed to praying. He is so committed to distracting you from, from praying. Why? Because he understands that prayer has power. And if he can stop you from exercising the power and authority of Jesus in your life, then he's, he's won in that space. So the enemy is more committed to distracting you from praying than you are committed to praying. No, it's not like Jesus wasn't a busy guy, right? He came to save the world. He had to like train up people and he knew where he was headed, right? It's not like he wasn't a busy guy. I mean, he had the potential to have a very full social calendar. I, would, I imagine Jesus is a very likable guy. Right? I mean, he, he, he liked to call things out in people, but I, I can't be all things to all people, right? We can't be all things to all people, but Jesus, he could. Imagine meeting Jesus and it's like you just, you know, meet him at a, you know, maybe a wedding. He went to weddings. <laughs> meet him at a wedding. And it's like, hey, like, I'm Jesus. And it's like, hi, I'm so-and-so. Oh, yeah, what kind of things do you like? And, you know, you say to Jesus, you're like, oh, yeah, I really like music. He's just thinking, knew that. <laughs> right? Like Jesus already knew. If he wanted to make a friend, he knew how to do it. Why? Because he knew them. He knew everyone. He knew them inside and out. He was God as well, right? So Jesus, he would have been a pretty likable guy. He had the potential to fill his life with a social calendar. He could have, honestly, I imagine it as he could have had any profession he wanted. He could have nailed anything, right? Like he could have been a businessman and very busy, Okay, he had the potential to fill his calendar. But Jesus understood something. He understood that when you say yes to something, you are saying no to something else. Sometimes when we say yes to something, we don't actually realise what we're saying no to and what the flow and effect might be. But when we say yes to something, we are saying no to something else. How often do we say yes to the busyness, to other priorities, and in return, we're saying no to that time with God. We're saying no to that relationship with God. I, um, I had this thought the other week in worship, and it's a bit of a weird, it's a bit of a weird thought, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, because this is a safe space, right? This is a safe space. So my thought was, it started like this, and then it got weird. So I, I thought to myself, how many problems would be solved if we loved God more than we loved ourselves? How many of our problems would be solved if we were more obsessed with the creator, God, than the creation, which is ourselves? If our eyes were on him instead of our own lives and our own troubles that we see in front of us? And this is where it got weird, okay? My next thought after that was, we need to be more like dogs. Think about it. Dogs are obsessed with their masters. They're obsessed. Imagine if we were as obsessed with God as a dog is with their master, right? Their dog will do, the dog will do anything to please their master. The master comes home, he's like, play with me, hang out with me. I, I want to be with you, right? They're obsessed with their master. If we were as obsessed with God, you know, I think that so many of our problems would be solved because we would be living from that place of pleasing him and the relationship out of love for him. Why do dogs do that? Because they love their owners. If we loved our our master half as much I think that so many of our issues would be solved you know it's it's kingdom thinking versus world thinking 
right? Worldly thinking will tell you this. Worldly thinking will say, I'm busy, I don't have time to pray. Worldly thinking will be, if I can just do this, I'll save that for later. You know, I can live my life and fit God into that box over there. Worldly thinking will tell you that the most important thing in your life is you. Protecting you. Protecting your time. Protecting, using your talents to better, you know, further you in your life. Kingdom thinking will tell you this. God is my number one priority, not myself. Kingdom thinking will say, I'm so busy, I actually need to pray. Because I need to live out of that revelation from God. If we plant the worldly seeds, we will reap a worldly harvest. You know, we're doing a, um, our theme this year is overflow, right? And what, what, what overflow is all about is that where we plant seeds, we will reap a harvest. And the Bible talks a lot about this. So if we plant the seeds that, you know, if we plant seeds that aren't very wise, well, we're probably going to reap the benefits of that in the future, which is not going to turn out very well for us. But we can actually plant the right seeds, intentionally plant really wise seeds, and we're going to reap the benefits of that in the future. And it works exactly the same way. If we, if we plant the worldly seeds, we will reap a worldly harvest. If we plant kingdom seeds, you know what the harvest will be? It'll be kingdom orientated. It will be growing in our relationship with God. It'll be reaching people to see, to see the goodness of God in their lives. It'll be, it'll be seeing this place filled with people. It'll be seeing ministry in your own life, at work, in your workplace. It'll be kingdom orientated. And when I say kingdom, what I'm meaning is the culture and the thinking and the heart of God versus worldly, which is about what our culture outside of the Bible, outside of the word, outside of God's heart says. If Jesus was God, sorry, if Jesus was God, which he was, and he had to spend time in prayer, how much more important is it for us? Like if that's a place where he went and he benefited from that, how much more important is it for us to have that space? You know, I've been thinking a fair bit in preparing for this message. Like why, why don't we pray? Right, it has power, it's important, it's, it's good for us, it's important. Why don't we pray? And I had a relatively convicting thought, to be honest, and that was, do we really understand the power of God? Because if we, under, if we had a real revelation of God's power, if we had a real revelation of what God can do, of his capacity to break through in certain situations, of his authority, of his goodness. If we really had a revelation of that, then surely we would pray more. Like if we had greater faith, why wouldn't we pray more? We have to pray with faith in the power of prayer and the power of God. For the love of God, pray and pray with faith. You know, why did Jesus pray so much? We know it wasn't to tick a box, but I believe he understood the power of God. He understood the power of a faith-filled prayer. He understood that it was about devotion, not discipline. It wasn't doing what he thought he should do. It was was out of devotion and love for God that he would pray so much because he understood who God is. He understood God's character. I know so often um, in my own life, and, and I'm assuming it's the same for others, our head and our heart can tell a bit of a different story. 
In our head, we understand, yes, God is the Almighty. In our head, we understand that God has power and that prayer is important. But in our heart, sometimes we don't always feel it. And there's this disconnect between our head and our heart. But you know what the solution for that is? It's prayer. It's time with God. It's building relationship with Him. And as we spend that time, our heart starts to catch up with our head as we learn more about His character and more about who He is. I um, had a, I had a life-changing moment somewhat recently. And this life-changing moment, I believe I was actually standing in the auditorium, but I cannot remember who I was having the conversation with. But I had this moment where I was wearing my denim jacket and my denim jacket, right, it's cropped. So for all the people who don't understand what that means, maybe some of the men in the room, that means that instead of it being longer down to the hips, it's about waist height, okay? So I was wearing my denim jacket and I was trying to put my phone in my pocket. And as you can imagine, when your pockets are up here, it's kind of hard. <laughs> like it's a bit awkward getting your phone into the pocket. And so because it looked like I had wings, I had to say something. I felt like I was being awkward. So I said, oh, it's so hard to get my phone into my pocket. And so I'm putting, trying to put it in. And then they said to me, why don't you just put it on your inside pocket? And I said, I don't have an inside pocket. And they said, isn't that a denim jacket? As if all denim jackets have inside pockets. Turns out most of them do, including mine. So I went like this and I looked and there were two inside pockets that I had never noticed before. I hadn't noticed them. I hadn't had the curiosity to find them and I hadn't taken the time to actually inspect the jacket quick properly. I saw it. I thought, yeah, I like that. And I never actually took the time to take a closer look. This was a life changing moment for me, right? There was this blessing that was always there. And now I just have this perfect little boop in goes my phone. But you know what? Sometimes we can approach God a bit like this, where we don't take the time and the curiosity to actually discover the blessings that he's put in front of us. You know, that blessing was always there for me. There are so many things that God has in our life that is right there in front of us, but we don't actually take the time to slow down in prayer or the curiosity to get to know him, to see what he's doing and how he's moving and the blessings that he's put in our life. What do you want to see? Take a moment to think about that. What do you want to see change, shift, maybe hopes and dreams for the future? What do you want to see? See, when we live a life of prayerlessness, what we end up doing is cutting ourselves off to the power of God in our lives. We actually end up cutting ourselves off from that. And what that looks like is feeling overwhelmed, overrun, beaten down, burnt out. the, The sad thing is, is that sometimes we can feel that way and we end up settling for it. I think all of us have had seasons in our life where we've settled for that and maybe we haven't noticed that the issue is that we're living a life of prayerlessness and we've cut ourselves off from the power of God in our life because no matter the situation, I want to encourage you today that God has joy for you. He has peace for you that surpasses all understanding. God is a good God and he's always ready to meet you where you are at. Prayer is the, is the key to unlocking God's power in our lives. You know, so often I think that we can forget that we're part of the equation. Like we're part of it. Yeah, it's God's power that moves, but we actually have to be an active participant in the process. 
Some of my friends recently, a few friends now actually, it's making me very jealous, they've all got Robovax. Some of you may know what a Robovac is, some of you may not. A Robovac is essentially a vacuum cleaner where you press the button and then it just goes and does all of the work for you. It's amazing. It remembers where everything is and it just goes around it, right? They're amazing, except for, as my friend learned, um, if your dog poos in, accidentally inside and then it picks it up and takes it around the house, not ideal. But so long as you don't do that, you're fine. Robovacs are great, right? So a lot of my friends have been getting Robovacs, but... How often do we try to do that with God? We want to go, God on, go clean up all my mess. Thank you. Right? We want to send him around cleaning up our mess, but not actually be an active participant in the process. Prayer does not work like that. We are an active participant. You know, God's power is revealed in the lives of those who pray. When we pray, what we're doing is we're actually exercising a spiritual authority that we have in Jesus. You know, Pastor Matt spoke about it before. He talk, spoke about the authority of Jesus. We, we were speaking, I speak the name of Jesus, the name of healing, you know, a name of power. He's the name above all names. So when we pray, we're exercising that spiritual authority that we have through Jesus. I want you to imagine with me um, a principal of a school. Okay, now in this school, there's all this bullying going on. The equipment's not safe. Kids are just loose and going everywhere. The staff don't care, right? Sounds like a pretty terrible environment. We've got a lot of teachers here. I hope your schools aren't like this, right? Now, the principal, he sees it, he knows, but he does nothing about it. Imagine that, the one with the authority to change something does nothing about it. You know, we actually have authority to see things change. When we don't pray, we're like that principal who's doing nothing about it. But if the principal exercises the authority that he has, there will start to be a culture shift. There will start to be a change in that environment. As we start to pray, we see a bit of a culture shift start to happen. We exercise the authority that we have to see the things change in life that we don't think matches what we should see. So do you know who God is? Like, do you know the power of God? He is God Almighty. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. He, God created this, this, he created you. He created the world. I mean, I had enough trouble trying to put experiments together in science class, right? God literally created the world and humans. Like, try to get your mind around that. I can't. It's incredible. God is a God of power. Prayer precedes breakthrough. You know, I, I'm reading through the Old Testament at the moment and no matter how many times the Israelites do what the Bible says is evil in the sight of the Lord, right? No matter how many times they fall away from Him, whenever their heart genuinely cries out to Him, He always answers their prayers. I think that Paul created the prayer card, right? He, he started the prayer card. In his letters, if you read, often he will say, pray for me. Why? Because he understood that there was power in prayer. So much power that in fact he didn't want to just pray for himself, but he wanted others praying for him as well. Be expectant for what God can do. Let's not put a cap on what God can do. Let's be expectant of how he can move. But I will say this, while it's good to be expectant of what he can do, try not to have expectations of how he's going to do it. So what do I mean by that? Well, often we'll pray 
And then we'll start looking for the signs as if we're proving or disproving our prayer. You know, oh, God hasn't answered that one, hasn't answered that one yet. And we're looking around to see how God is moving in a way that we are expecting Him to move. Oh, I didn't feel what I thought I would be feeling. I didn't see what I thought I would be seeing. You see, the danger in that is that it starts to make prayer either about success or failure. But prayer isn't about success and failure. It's about a position of our heart. We pass it over to God and we let Him do what He wants to do. When we look for what we think it should be, we start trying to control the outcome. But the control isn't for us. That's why we pray. We hand it over to God. If you want to see fruit, you need to pray. There's so much power in speaking truth over your life, speaking truth over others and, and, and even this world, even our place, our leaders, we should be praying for them. But doesn't it make sense that if we pray individually and we, we sow seeds in that place and we reap a harvest of breakthrough, doesn't it also make sense that if we sow seeds of prayer in a community, that we would also reap a harvest of breakthrough in that community. For the love of God, pray and pray together. We need to pray together. I actually, um, I, I thought that for this, I would, I would look up some studies from Barna. Now, some of you might have heard of Barna. Essentially, they're a research group in the US and they do a lot of research on religion um, and, and faith. And Barna are very good at what they do. And yes, they're largely based in the US, but as part of a westernised society and culture, there's a lot that we can learn from them that's probably pretty similar here in Australia. And so I looked into Barna on, on some studies of prayer. And it was really interesting to see how we as a very individualistic culture about ourselves, building ourselves, right? As individuals, it, our, our faith has almost moved from being a corporate expression to more of an individual expression. And I think if you look around, you can see where that is happening. Faith is almost becoming more of a private matter with an individual focus. And so here's some of the um, things that, that I found. So in, in this sample they had studied, 94% of people had prayed in the last three months. Okay, look, it's three months. I would say do it more regularly than that. But in saying that, 94%, I was impressed. Okay, I actually thought, wow, that's more than I was expecting. It wouldn't surprise me if in Australia, if that was lower, just because of the culture in America. But, you know, 94%, I was impressed. This is something I also found interesting. Elders were twice as likely to pray for others than the millennials. Millennials, we need to do better. I am one of you. We need to do better. Twice as likely, right? But this is the one that I found shocking. Only 2% of those people were actively praying collectively with their church. 2% or in church or in another community. 2%. That's so low. Essentially what they found and what they concluded was people pray mostly alone. It's a solitary activity defined primarily by the immediate needs and concerns of the individual. Corporate prayer and corporate needs are less compelling drivers in people's lives. In other words, my summary of that is people are motivated to pray for their own issues, but they're not actually moved enough to pray for others. Yeah. Isn't that sad? Yeah, like that's, that's not what we were shown in Scripture. That's not the design that, that God had for us. You know, we can see in Acts 1 verse 14, 
And we're going to look at some examples here of corporate prayer in the Bible. So Acts 1 verse 13 to 14, it says this, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were all staying. This is talking about the disciples. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and, Tom- and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. It says all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. What does that look like? Praying together. Acts 2 verse 41 to 47, it says, So those who received his word, so when it says his word, what it's talking about is Peter's just been preaching. Okay, they've got the gospel, they're sharing the gospel and Peter's just been preaching. And they added three, it's about to say this, but 3,000 people got saved that day. That's awesome. How cool is that? So those who received his word were baptised and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I question, does that mean 3,000 people got baptised that day? I mean, it said those who received the word were baptised. Imagine that, 3,000 baptisms. Let's aim for that, guys. Let's have 3,000 baptisms in one day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You know, when I first read this scripture, honestly, I kind of pictured them praying by themselves because that's kind of my culture, right? That's the Western culture. But that's not what they were doing. Yes, they would have spent time praying by themselves. Jesus actually demonstrated that. But he also demonstrated praying publicly. He also prayed with his disciples. And so when we look at this and it says, and the prayers, it's actually talking about them praying together. It's praying in in the house meeting that they had. And we see that this preceded breakthrough. If you keep reading there, it talks about, you know, day by day, they were breaking bread in the homes, they received food. They actually, it talks about their generous hearts and how they became generous. And it talks about people being added to their number day by day. They saw salvations, they saw baptisms, they saw miracles, they saw generosity, they had overflow. And so it came out of that place of prayer and devotion as they prayed together. We are not designed to do life on our own. And, you know, if there's, if there's something that our world probably needs right now, it's unity. <laughs> you know, there is so much disunity in our world right now, so much divide. But we as a church, we are called to be united. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to agree on every single thing. But when we come together in prayer, we're actually united on the one focus, on Jesus. When, when, we, when we pray, our heart aligns with God. So imagine if we all pray together. Well, then our hearts are all going to align with God and align with each other. It brings such incredible unity when we pray together. I've got another question for you. Do you think that a healthy prayer culture in a church is important? I'm so glad you said yes. I'm so glad you said yes. If you didn't say anything, I was going to say, well, I'm hoping your answer is yes. Me too. I, I actually believe that that is really, really important. So then the question becomes, well, how do you measure it? How do you measure a healthy prayer culture? And trust me, we've tried, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. But to me, what that would look like is people who are excited to pray, right? So what does that look like? Okay, people are excited to pray together. So maybe people praying together after the service. People, you know, our prayer, our prayer meetings, we have a prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting once a month, our prayer breakfast, right? We had it on Friday. We had less than 20 people here. We have more than 20 people at our church. There were less than 20 people who were excited enough to come and have a delicious breakfast and pray together. 
you know, to me, that looks like, you know, prayer in small groups. It looks like reaching out for prayer to each other. You know, a, a healthy prayer culture in a church, it should look like something, right? It should look like something. And if I'm really, really honest, I don't think we're there yet. I don't. I think that we have incredible people in this church who, who do love God. But if I look at, at, at a healthy prayer culture looking like something, guys, I think we've got a way to go. And I'm just being real and honest right now. I think we've got a real way to go. You know, it's not up to Pastor Ben and Pastor Sarah to own it. Like, yeah, they're part of owning it. They have to own it. They're part of that shift. But it's not just up to them. It's actually not just up to the leadership team. It's not up to the ministry team. It's not up to the board. It's not up to one team to own. It's not even up to the prayer team, right? It's up to all of us. Every individual person who calls this place their home, it is up to us. We all own it. We all own that shift in that prayer culture. Let's be honest, we're fighting against the Western culture here. You know, like, and I, I mean, when we hear that, there's, there's a sense that can kind of be like, oh, well, that's okay. It's just the culture that we're in. It's not my fault, right? But we're not designed to think that way. We're designed to break the mould. We're set apart, right? Let's not hear that and take comfort, but hear that and be stirred that we actually need to be part of changing not just the culture in our church, but the culture in the wider, in the wider church to pray and pray together. I can't help but thinking what, think about like what, if we're not sowing the seeds, what seeds are we not sowing and therefore what are we missing? What would it look like if we were on fire to pray together? What would it look like if our prayer meetings were full? If when we do prayer and fasting together as a church, if this place was packed and, and everyone was fasting together and in that community together, what would that look like? What breakthrough are we not seeing because we're not praying? If we want to see fruit, we collectively, we need to pray together. So how do we break that mould? How do we break that mould? Well, first thing is you can turn up the heat on your own prayer life. You know, there's a, we have a prayer culture individually and a prayer culture as a church. And let's turn up the heat on our own prayer life because as you start to experience that love for prayer, I believe that honestly, you'll just start to want to pray with others more too. You know, maybe for you, you're like, ah, but I just don't know. I don't, I, I'm just not praying much. Like, how do I, how do I up that? Well, find the roadblock. Find the barrier to you praying. Is it that, you know, you're tired in the morning? Well, for me, you know, sometimes I need a cup of tea because I just need something there, right? To help me to get up and to, and to, spend, and to spend some time. So find what works for you. Find a strategy. Find something that, you know, uh, you know, some people have a couch that they like to sit on or they like to sit in a certain spot, right? Find a strategy that works for you and use it. Remember to listen and wait. As a church, we care so much about this, so much about spiritual maturity and so much about helping people to pray. And so we created a little while ago, and you can get one of these, a prayer spectrum band. Mine is currently inside out. But what it has is it has a, like an acronym and then it has uh, little symbols on the other side. And it talks us through, uh, it shows us through things that we can be praying for. People, you know, the church. It takes us through, it's called the prayer spectrum because we've made a way to try to remind ourselves to pray as we see it and know what to be praying for. You know, some people prefer it on their phone. We can organise that for you. You can put it as your screen background if you want to, right? There are different ways to engage with it. 
Get around people that pray. You might just catch something. Fire catches fire. Join a small group. If you want to know more about prayer, that's something you need help with. That is a perfect space in small groups. That's why we have them, to help grow, right? So join, join a small group. Come to prayer meetings. Be part of prayer and fasting. Get around people that pray. Spend time falling in love with God. Relationships take time. So spend the time in that relationship falling in love with Him. And make sure that we pray with each other. You know, if someone's telling you about a hard time in, in their life, why don't you offer to pray for them? There's something I'm trying to do more. When I hear something, not just hearing it, but taking the time to pray. What happens if we succeed, guys? Like, isn't that exciting? What happens if we actually succeed in changing this, this culture, not just in our church, but in the wider church? We'll live out our call, we'll impact situations and we'll destroy the plan of the enemy. And destroying the plan of the enemy sounds really appealing to me, right? Let's join together. So for the love of God, pray, pray with faith and pray together. If, we, if you wanna see fruit in your life, you need to pray. So I'm gonna everyone to stand right now and we're just gonna take a moment to respond before we go back into worship. I actually wanna pray today for a fresh revelation of God's power and goodness in our lives. Because I genuinely believe that if we get that, we won't be able to help but pray because it's for the love of God that we pray. So I want to give people an opportunity to respond in your own heart. And if you want to have everyone just to close their eyes right now, just to give people privacy. If that's you today and you feel like you need a fresh revelation of who God is, of His power and His goodness. If you feel like you're in this place and, and you actually, you're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not praying enough for you know what I think I kind of should be. And I just want that love and that understanding for God. If you just want to respond to God right now, maybe by putting your hand in the air, um, just as a sign of surrender to Him. And just take that moment to say, Jesus, actually that's me. Would you give me a fresh revelation of your goodness, of your power and your love? And I'm gonna pray, Jesus, we thank you for everything you did on that cross. And we thank you that because of you and through you, we have all authority. The enemy has no hold on us because of what you did, Jesus. I pray that right now that you would give everyone with their hand raised, everyone in this place, God, I pray that you would give them a fresh revelation of your power. Lord, you are so good to us, but I pray that you would give us a revelation of your power. Holy Spirit, come and move. Shift in our hearts and stir our hearts to pray, to recognise your goodness, to recognise the, the, the impact that you have for breakthrough. God, I pray for people seeking breakthrough right now, Lord, that it would come and that you would bring that breakthrough. But God, above all, I pray that you would fill our hearts with peace and joy through every circumstance and that we would have a great understanding of who you are. Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.